I know that God, you know, God works big things in small numbers, doesn't he? So I, I was thinking about this earlier. I can remember back in 2001, Lynn was graduating first year of, at Morningstar School of Ministry, and I went to this uh, little graduation party with him. And the father of one of the students asked me, what did I want to do? Because at that time, I was still living in Ohio and working, you know, all that good kind of stuff. But he said, what do you want to do? I said, oh, I want to have a big ministry like Joyce Myers. Yeah, see? Boy, was that prideful. <laughs> so here I am with a small group of people. And you know what? I like this a lot. I don't think I'd like standing in front of all those people like Joyce Meyer does. But, you know, you lose something in that in that the big numbers. So I like it like this. It's like the upper room and it's very intimate. And so that's what I like. So so I'm glad you're here with me. How's that? Well, I really want to share tonight about the Gulliver prophecy, but I felt the Lord impressing on me today to share something first, and that was like promises that the Lord, how the Lord spoke to me this year prophetically we do a um, word of the month each month and the lord is it's something he's done with me the first day of each month and it's like he gives me kind of a forecast for that month and it's not that he doesn't speak to me any other time but it's kind of like a special time that we have together so i felt him showing me today that i needed to share with you like a little highlight of each month it's because it's for this year and leading up to the Gulliver prophecy. That kind of makes sense? And if it doesn't, <laughs> you get to suffer through it with me. <laughs> okay. Well, in January, he started by saying that 2016 is a year of supernatural provision and a time of trusting the Lord and this supernatural provision is available to all who believe. So this should be you. You've got to be believers. To believe, you need to believe for the miraculous. Believe him to be the deliverer. And if you believe and receive, you receive the double portion. And now that's funny because, see, that was January, like January 1st. And now into July is when he sends us to Ohio and to receive the double portion and impart a double portion. So see, I love God's plan. I, was, I think that's like one of the reasons he's saying, share this tonight. February, he said, it's time for America's breakthrough to glory. And then he said that he showed me George Washington standing... Um, it looked like he, you know how the picture is of him at Valley Forge, but he had Moses' staff, and he was, George Washington is like just pounding the, the ground with Moses' staff, and he was decreeing, let my people go. So the Lord began to speak to me then about this. It's a time for America's breakthrough to glory let my people go. So I'm asking the Lord what, you know, like what are they being let go of? He said there's an, another exodus coming that what they're being let go of, what he's decreeing this is the religious spirit in the church, okay? And it's really settled 
on leadership, you know, whatever starts at the top trickles down to the body. And he showed me that there were different deliverers. Of course, we had Moses. And, you know, George Washington, he was really a deliverer, wasn't he? And so was Abraham Lincoln. So was Martin Luther King. You know, there, we have had many deliverers. But if you are here tonight, you are also a deliverer because you are a part of the body and you're to help others be delivered from that religious spirit, from the chains of bondage and into the kingdom of light. So he said there's another, there's another exodus coming and it's being released from this re uh, religious spirit in the church. And he said, watch the next three years as I release my glory. And he said there's going to be a freedom, deliverance, and a social justice, like the injustice in the nation. And I don't know it's limited to this nation, but social injustice would be restored. Then in March, he showed me that Ichabod was being removed from the church. Now, Lynn and I was in um, Oklahoma when I got that word and I or I was up speaking about that word and I didn't understand you know I was saying that in the late 70s Bob was at such a place with the Lord that he was like Samuel that he said for seven years every word that he spoke nothing fell to the ground everything happened and it happened quickly and he said he was he was so um filled with the power of the Holy Spirit as he was walking at, I, Lynn's probably tired of hearing me say this but Bob just wanted to go fishing and so he's walking down the street to the fishing you know the tackle bait and tackle shop and see the glory in him was so prominent and just oozing out of him that people coming into his realm of you know being they said they the conviction fell on them because the Holy Spirit was so strong that they said what do I need to do to get saved they recognized that they were a sinner they needed a savior what do I need to do he said all I wanted to do was go fishing but see God had other things right he was fishing he was fishing for souls he had his idea isn't it neat when we have our idea of what we want to do and God has his so he never did get to go fishing that day, but people got saved right there on the street. Or he said, you know, he would go to the grocery store. You know, he, honest to goodness, he did shopping back then. And, uh, but, you know, he would go shopping and, you know, people would get saved. He said it was so easy. And that's what's coming now. You know, this is, this is what we're supposed to be walking in. The more we get rid of all that yuck in us, you know, and I think last night there was a real cleansing that took place here. We get rid of all that stuff in us, then what do we want to fill it with? The Holy Spirit. We give Holy Spirit room to abide in us so that glory lives there. <clears throat> Something that the Lord showed me, well, better go back to that. When I was bringing that word out in um, Oklahoma City, I said, I don't know when this happened, but, you know, Bob was so full of the glory, and the Lord came to him one day, and he said, today, I'm removing the glory. I'm removing my glory from the church, and I'm writing Ichabod over the church. 
And Bob said, oh, Lord, please don't do that. He said, I don't want to be here. Take me home. I don't want to live without the glory. And um, the Lord said, no, man, man has taken the credit for what I'm doing. They were really, I say, prostituting the glory. You know, they're taking credit for it. And that's something, this man who is ministering with us, he's like a statistician for, I think, anybody that had any prophecy. But he jumped up and he said, that date when the Lord wrote Ichabod over the church was March 11th, 1977. Okay? And if you look forward to March 11th of 2017, that'll be 40 years. And God moves in 40s, doesn't he? So I think by next year, we've been seeing glimpses of the glory. But I think by March of next year, next year is going to be a very important year. And I think starting in March next year, we're going to see increase. And it will just continue to increase of the glory. But something the Lord showed me also in March was, uh, we showed me these eruptions of glory. But he showed me this beautiful silver elevator, very large elevator. And it was his elevator. And there was a lot of people standing outside waiting for the doors to open so they could enter that elevator. And the elevator only went up. See, this is his, his elevator. But you know what? There's a sign above it, and it said, no baggage allowed. Okay? And there were some people that they were not willing to leave their bag their baggage behind. So that's what we were doing last night. We're getting rid of baggage. You know, for this move of God, we can't take our old stuff with us. We have to be willing to let go of it. We need to leave it behind because the elevator doors opened and people were able to enter, but only them, only the pure in heart were going to enter. Those that had their baggage that they would want to hang on to, they never entered. So it was their choice. So that was, um, that was March. And I did see there was eruptions of glory. Some places... They were small places that had a lot of glory. There were large places that had little glory. And it was many, many places I saw. It's like looking over uh, like a, a bird's eye view, you know, if you're flying over an area. But there was a lot of glory. But it, de it depended on, didn't matter about the size, it mattered about the condition of the people's heart. Okay? But there was a lot of glory. Okay, in April... The Lord said, there's a bold generation on the horizon. And they will resist temptation. So as I was really seeking the Lord about that, what he showed me is, you know, it's really a choice. Like, um, the, the generation, this bold generation, it isn't that temptation won't come to them. But they're going to be so in love with the Lord that they will. their discernment is going to be so much greater. And they're going to say, I don't want any part of that, you know. No. You know, the Lord had me study about um, Cain and Abel. Do you remember they, both brothers brought their offering to the Lord and to the Father? And he, reject, he received one and rejected the other. And Cain got really mad at Abel, didn't he? And he was bitter and he was complaining and God says to him why 
Why are you so angry? Do you not know that sin crouches at your door, but you must rule over it? And see, that's what, see, temptation's always going to come over it, come to our door. It'll come in many different fashions, many different faces, many different temptations will come. But we need to say no to our options. Well, what was the very next verse? What did Cain do? He told his brother, let's go out in the field, and he killed him. Okay? He had opportunity to make the right decision. He did not rule over. Sin will crouch at your door. Temptation will come. We just need to say no to our options when we know better. Then you don't have to go through repentance and what have you. Just do what's right. And this is the bold generation that's coming. And you are part of that because you're so falling in love again with the Lord. Okay, in May, this was cute. Recently I've seen... 333 a lot and every time I see that I begin praying but I saw 333 yeah that was a time and the Lord said to me that the that America is an equal nation America is on the road to destruction unless we turn it around now but see, it was 3.33 in the morning, so I began to pray. Because we can pray and intercede and turn this thing around that's going, you know, it's been going downhill for a long time. But the Lord said, America's been in an eagle molt since 2010. America is considered, you know, an eagle, the eagle nation. When an eagle goes through a molt, they lose their... their um, feathers, they lose their beak, they're really kind of grounded, they lose their vision, so here's what he said, America's been in an eagle molt since 2010, she lost her vision and the ability to fly into the sun, the S-O-N, but the righteous have cried out, and what they cried out was Second Chronicles 7.14, okay, so God is answering their prayer. And he took me to Jeremiah 33, 6. I know you'll like this. Listen, Jeremiah, <laughs> Jeremiah 6 through 9 says that the Lord is bringing healing and peace. So I feel that's something that's coming to this nation now. It doesn't, you know, God's answering our prayers. It just doesn't look like maybe the way we expected, but he is answering our prayer. Um, and then the rest of this is, in Jeremiah 33, 11. There shall be heard again the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of, of those who sing as they bring sacrifices of thanksgiving into the house of the Lord. Give praise and thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy and kindness and steadfast love endure forever. For I will cause the captivity of the land to be reversed and return to be as it was at first, says the Lord. So you have what we were saying last night, the bride and the bridegroom, okay? You know, the bride has been in a place of preparation. And what I, the Lord said yesterday is that the we have forgotten the bridegroom. But you know, there's a hope here. And that's what the Lord was showing us back in 
June. June. May. Okay. Don't want to jump ahead of myself. So there's a hope for the nation. Okay? He's turning this around for us. And everything is in his timing. Now, in June, are you bored with this yet? Okay. I think it's kind of fun, and I've just, you know, the Lord's, like, showing me this today. Okay. This is a little bit different, but um, in my living room, I have some, this is my Jesus, my Jesus room. I have all the stuff in there about Jesus. So I have this awesome painting, and it's Jesus walking on the seashore, and the the waves are just kind of lapping up over his feet. And I've had that picture there, that painting, for probably probably now about a year. And it's really awesome. You know, he's just, he's just walking, all right? And you just feel the peace. I forget what the scripture that is there with it. But we had friends from South Africa there sitting on the couch. And the young man, the son, he looks over and he says, look at that picture. There was... We have a uh, patio windows, and then above there's this little, like a half, like a moon <laughs> above the window. There was light coming in from there, and it looked like the light was coming right out of Jesus' head, okay? Shining on, you know, down like across his feet and on the seashore. And it was just such an awesome picture, you know? We took pictures. We took pictures. I'm like, this is really, gosh, this is really God, and, you know, it's incredible. But I felt, you know, Jesus is the light of the world. And that's what he was showing. In him there is no darkness. And I felt, and we talked about this, you was talking about this morning, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers. This is what the Lord told me some time ago. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of all mankind. Because it doesn't matter where you are. You're that holy vessel that he wants to use to bring forth salvation. And what I really felt was that there was like the Lord, the Holy Spirit hovering over that in the picture, you know, in over the, the sea, the sea of restless humanity. This is about salvation. And it's time, you know, the glory of the Lord being released. You know, you just, you don't know what you're in for. It's something you've been praying about, but are you really ready for what God's going to do through you? You know, each one of you, you're going to have a house full of people because you're going to be, if you're alive and breathing and you know Jesus, you're called into full-time ministry. Any place and every place that you are, that's your pulpit. Okay. So he's saying, follow me. Now, let's see, that was... June. Now, this is where the fun begins. Okay, because June, June 19th, Sunday, was Father's Day. And I had this very, very vivid dream that morning. Trust me, I need a drink for that one. But, <laughs> now, in this dream, I was in a hospital. But the, uh, it wasn't a, an, an emergency room. It wasn't a waiting room. It was a dressing room, like a movie star would have, with the big mirror and all the lights around the mirror. And I was making myself beautiful, 
okay? I am, my makeup was perfect. I'm fixing my hair. And I glance down from in this mirror. I can see I'm very, very pregnant. I, I know, trust me, my age and you having a baby, you pay attention to this dream. But, <laughs> but I was very pregnant, and the, the clock on the wall said five minutes till seven in the morning. And I knew this baby was coming at seven o'clock. I had five minutes. I had grace, okay? <laughs> but you know what? There was, it, but see, that reminded me of the bride making herself ready for the bridegroom. But I had five minutes for this baby to come. There was no labor. There was no travail. There was nothing. All of that has been done, all right? Over to this side, the door opened. My aunt, who was like 95 years old, she, she came in. But the doors open, I can see many, many people, pastors, friends, family, everybody rushing down the hall to the waiting room. They're all anticipating, they're all waiting, they're wanting to see the birth of this baby. And I knew that this was a boy baby, you know. I'm used to having these girl babies because he's got three little girls. <laughs> but this was a boy baby. See, this was a child of promise that's coming. The, this was the Isaac being born. But I said, okay, five minutes. I'm like, oh, my gosh, everybody's here except my husband. I'm like, well, where is he? So I picked up the phone, and I called, and I, he answered, and I said, where are you? I, I need you now. And he said, I'm busy. And I said, no, 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 I need you, and I need you now. The baby's coming. I need you now. You need to get here now. Now, see, that person that I called was the father, okay? He's my husband in my dream, but he was the father. He's Father God. This baby's coming, it's coming quick. It's a movement. We can't do this without God. Man has tried to many times and failed because they forget about him. You know, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You try to do something apart from him, and you're going to fall flat on your face. Okay? So that was Father's Day, and I thought, what an awesome, what an awesome gift. I went to Morningstar that day, and I told him I'm having a baby, you know? <laughs> but I got up and brought that word, and you know what? It really is, not, it's, it's great. It is the, the promised child. Okay? The Isaacs, they're the child of promise. Okay, so that was, that was Father's Day in the morning. Now that evening, I am watching, let's see, Golden State Warriors, where are they from? Probably from California, right? Okay, well, forgive me, but anyhow, I'm an Ohio girl, and I was watching the Cavaliers, and it's the last game, the final game of the basketball, you know, finals, and, and uh, so Cleveland... Cavaliers defeat the Golden State Warriors. And I was, I was excited about that. But the thing is, the commissioner of basketball, Adam Silver, and what a name that is, Adam Silver, he comes out, you know, they've got the big trophy and everything, but he said, the curse over Cleveland is broken. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I knew right then that was Bob's prophecy. 
<laughs> honest, I, I jumped out. See, it had to be done in the natural first and then in the spirit. And I just agreed with heaven, yes, it is, that curse is broken over Cleveland. And from that time, the Lord really began to stir in me that whole prophecy. But you know what? It was a timing. It took 11 years. I mean, I knew it, but yet I couldn't do anything with it. It had to be the Lord prompting me and showing me and what have you. And then actually he sent an angel to me to tell me, <laughs> poking her finger in my face. She, this is what she said to me. Well, I'll backtrack a little bit. After that happened, it was maybe two weeks after that, um, <laughs> our FBI director let Mrs. Clinton off the hook. You know, it was, to me, that was a real injustice. Nobody's above the law, nobody. So I was very upset about that. And I thought, well, I'll just do what I can do. I sat down and I start writing. And uh, so I'm writing about this and, and you know what? The Lord just like put me to sleep. So I went to bed and went to sleep. You know, hey, <laughs> felt good. So anyhow, but when I was sleeping, I saw a picture of this hand, and it was Donald Trump's hand. And in that hand was one playing card. It was a face card. And it was that of William McKinley. And I thought, what in the world, you know? But the Lord said to me, this is his Trump card. And he said, Donald Trump is the dark horse that will come from behind to win this race. Okay, and I have to backtrack it there too because July of last year, the Lord said to me that the devil thinks he has an ace in the hole, but I'm gonna trump the devil's ace. Okay, so, so that, was, that was just before Donald Trump got into the race. So I sh maybe should have said that first, but I never think about it till I'm here. Uh, but I didn't recognize it at that time. I didn't know what the Lord was talking about. You know, it took months before I figured that out. He was talking about Donald Trump. But now, you know, when, when this happens and I see this, okay, here's Donald Trump's hand, and it has William McKinley, the face card of William McKinley. And I'm thinking, Lord, why William McKinley? And through a series of, you know, investigation called Google, you know, <laughs> but as I Googled and I'm reading about it, what have you, see, I, I grew up in Canton, Ohio, home to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That has a part to play here, too. But um, so I, I grew up there, and William McKinley, even though he was born in Niles, Ohio, he, after the Civil War, he settled in Canton, and he was, uh, he, he studied law there, his, uh, what do you call it, you know, his attorneyship. <laughs> he was a lawyer there. And he ran for president from Canton, Ohio. And he ran in 1896. Carl Rove wrote a book about that election and why that election was so significant today. It's because the same situations with the immigration and the um, uh, depression and there's a lot of different things that they had then was the same as it is today facing the same thing. McKinley was Republican, and William Jennings Bryant was his name. He ran against him. He was a lot like Mrs. Clinton, okay? I don't think he was evil, and I do think that she is, but um, 
well, I, I, I do feel that she is. <laughs> but anyhow, William McKinley ran his campaign from a businessman's point of view. The same way as he, Mr. Trump is a businessman. He's not a politician. So he's doing the best he can. You know, I really pray for him to bridle his tongue. Okay, because, and I think he's doing much better. He really is. But when William McKinley won, and they said he was a dark horse coming from behind that won the race. Okay, but he won. It changed, uh, had a lot to do with the Electoral College, and you know there's controversy about that now. And also, it, he won by a landslide, and it changed the face of the Republican Party for 38 years. Okay, so I really, to me, I, I felt God was really showing me there is a hope. And this is his choice. He can't go, you know, push the button on the thingamajiggy, but, you know, to, to vote. We have to do it. But he, this is God's choice. And he is using this man to turn this nation around. Okay, God works through his people. He's answering prayers. We've been crying out for years. He's answering it. It just doesn't look like, you know, maybe what we wanted. But this is his answer. And you know what? God can do a lot through his people. I know Rick Joyner said, he, he said, I'm, I'm not praying that Donald Trump gets saved. I know he meets with good Christian leaders all the time. But he said, I'm not praying that he gets saved yet. I'm waiting until he's in office. <laughs> so... Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, but anyhow. But you know what? I've been praying, you know, that all things that were hidden would be exposed. You know, and it has been. And I forget when exactly, several months ago, so maybe it was, maybe it was May, something like that. I heard, in the spirit, I heard um, Hillary Clinton's hearing aids and hat blast off. And I thought, what, does she wear hearing aids? You know, I mean, I'm a carnal when I get to that, so I turned on TV and I'm trying, trying to see pictures of her, you know, does she have hearing aids? And then it dawned on me, okay, it's those, you know, she deleted all that stuff and it's all these people that have to come, you know, and testify against her. You know, all of this is coming out and her hat blast off, <clears throat> that's her covering. She's uncovered. I really feel like God is, you know, we have grace, but I feel like he's lifted his hand of grace from her. And look at, I mean, I'm not happy that she's not well, okay? I don't pray that anybody is sick. But just this even being exposed, whatever's going on in, with her health, you know, if you saw that from like a week ago, she's stumbling and falling, you know. So I don't know. God is just exposing truth okay well back to let me see where are we here it's back to the calendar yeah so it's it's june and you know it's i've had my baby i don't know if i have my baby but anyhow i'm having this baby and and the golden state warriors were defeated no i should say cleveland <laughs> cleveland cavaliers won and so the curse is broken over cleveland and the Lord begins, okay, there's this thing with Hillary Clinton getting off the hook, and I'm upset, and the Lord shows me the trump card. And then this angel comes to me, 
It's a lady angel. Ugh. Anyhow, but she came to me and she said, you have an obligation. She's very matter of fact. She says, you have an obligation to take the word of the body of Christ. Now, I've never invited myself anywhere. But I'd like, you ever argue with an angel? I said, well, what do you expect me to do? Just call people and invite myself to minister? <laughs> I did, just like that. And she, like, I do, I do this good. But she said, no, just go. I mean, she had her finger in my face. And just matter of fact, and I thought, ooh, that was the fear of God in me. <laughs> I mean, it scared me. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, you know. So I, after I got over my feardom, <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I shared with Lynn, and Lynn and I, you know, we end up making this tape of, you know, what I felt about the Gulliver prophecy and how it was the timing and all that kind of stuff. While we're doing that, my phone is on the table, <laughs> turned on mute, but I can hear it buzzing. And when I was done, I went over to check. I had a text message from Steve Witt. You might know Steve Witt. Steve Witt is, uh, well, it's actually now Bethel Cleveland. That's their church. Um, he's Cleveland. He's got a couple churches there. But he, his text was, I haven't talked to you in years. Hope you're fine. Do you know how I can get a hold of Bob's Gulliver Prophecy? And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding. You know, this is just, so I knew this was a confirmation. Okay. So I called and talked to Steve a little bit. And then I thought, well, there's another man's that came to mind who I should call up in that Cleveland area because, see, I'm not good at calling and inviting myself someplace. So I called, and I had to leave a phone message for him. This was a Thursday. Monday, he called me, and he said, you're not going to believe what happened. But he said, I got your message late Thursday when I was leaving the office. I didn't even tell my wife about it. He said, I just thought I'm going to take the weekend and pray about it. Sunday morning when I went into church, one of his intercessors came and said, it's time for that Gulliver prophecy. You need to get a hold of Bonnie. You know, she needs to come here. And I'm like, okay, this is God. <laughs> this is for real. <laughs> you know, so we made arrangements then, of, you know, for us to go to Ohio. We were praying about how do we do this. So we're honest. You hear, you know, you take that little bit of faith, my little bit of faith and God's whole bunch of big faith, you know, it's just really been a walk of faith. And we decided we were going to go, and, and so we went. Uh, we took his, his wife and three little people, three little girls. You know, they're so cute. So them and me, we took two vans, and we go. When we cross the Ohio River, because from our house, you know, you drive 77 north, it ends in Lake Erie, okay? Seriously, it does. So right at Jacobs Field. So we were heading north, and um, when we get to um, across the Ohio River from West Virginia into Ohio, the Lord has us go down to the river to pray. And there the Lord began to speak to me about the state and what he's going to do. And he told me to go to Lake Erie. And there is where we were to release the winds that hold back the anointing of the church. Now, see, I am just not smart enough to think about that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I guess sometimes I like 
not being so smart because then it's always news and happy and joy when I figure, when the Lord does something, I'm like, you know, I can't really take credit for this. He did it. I'm just the simpleton that's like, okay, God, you said go, I go, you know. So, you know, I think I might just stop there, and um, if you're able to cue up that Gulliver prophecy, because um, it's really everything's in the timing, but it's about 10 minutes long, and if you aren't familiar with, since you probably everybody lives up here in the northwest, you're not familiar with the state of Ohio or the, maybe the towns. Or, but if you picture in your mind, Bob is going to talk about Ohio, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. And he'll mention other states and um, cities. But let me throw this out first. I can think what I wanted to throw out, I'll throw it. <laughs> well, Ohio, I'm from Ohio. That's why it's so important to me. Um, there's a timing. There's a timing in all things. And I think God chose Ohio to be the breaker, the beginning in this prophecy for several reasons, but one, it has been, they call it the mother of presidents, okay? Because there's eight presidents have come from that state, okay? They're in Stark County, where I live, Canton, Ohio. It is a, a democratic stronghold. The whole state of Ohio is a democratic stronghold. No president has ever won the White House without winning Ohio. No president has won the state of Ohio without winning Stark County. Okay? And a couple months ago, the Lord showed me, because I, I was a Democrat and worked in a Democratic office, political office. He showed me that the Democratic Party is crippled. Okay? And I really believe that this election is going to turn that around. And, you know, God knew all this before, before, before ever, you know? So anyhow, all these things are in God's timing. And um, if you can maybe, I know what I wanted to say is 12 cities. There's, there's different prophets. There was Bob, uh, Rick Joyner, John Paul Jackson, and um, Todd Bentley. I know they had this, they called it the 12 city prophecies. Each one of them had, um, like one was Portland, Oregon. They had 12 cities, but like Portland, Oregon, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, Orlando, Florida. You know, each one of them had the 12 cities. But Ohio was on each of their list. But there was no city. It was the whole state of Ohio. Okay, Rick Joyner put on his, he put Columbus simply because it's the state capital. But he saw no, no city, it was the whole state. And what I say with that, it was like, it was the glory of God coming out of that or fire coming out of it. So that's their 12 city prophecies. But if you, I don't care, it takes like 10 minutes for this thing to play. If you even want to close your eyes and kind of picture in your mind what Bob's saying. It, it is Bob's voice, he got it. Uh, July of 2005 in Cincinnati. And what's amazing, too, 
right after that, and he left the church, he came out of there and he said, I believe my wife is coming from Ohio. And there she is. How about that? Okay, you can cue that up. I'm going to sit down while they play it. The heavens declare the handiwork of God. Our daddy spoke them into existence and they're in total obedience to his orbit. orbit. And they're all speaking a real clear word right now. They haven't been lit up like this for 2,000 years. In the heavens is shaken, on the earth is shaken, and under the earth is going to shake. what's taking place. Last June the 6th, he's always told me through the years to mark June the 6th. If you go back, you find the heavens reveal certain things on June the 6th, including the eye of God. This year, it gave us another message in an awesome way. 38 years ago, last June the 6th, Jerusalem become a united city. Jerusalem is Papa's time clock, not Israel. 38 years. The man laid at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years waiting. I think the crippled church has waited long enough. Long enough, long enough, long enough. Israel went around in circles. Kadesh Bardia for 38 years. Kadesh Bardia means they wandered around that mountain. Word now to the churches, get off the mountain. Get off the mountain. Get off the mountain. Make a beeline for the promises of God. And cross that Jordan and come into the promised land where it's yours. How long will this journey be? Two years. The next couple of years is going to be real shaking in the world. And you got no business shaking because you ought to have things established that can't shake because everything is shaking. Under the earth, you're going to see some awesome shaking, volcanoes, earthquakes. But you ought to have things settled where Christ is settled in your heart, settled on things above. That can't be moved or shook. And when this happens, your finest hour comes. 38 years, two years, we're talking about the beginning of his glory, the returning of our daddy's glory and him taking back the honor on his name. I saw a great man had fallen to sleep in the past, and his body was laying on his back, and he was halfway buried dirt. We could call him Gulliver. And little people from little input had tied him down. And the only reason he was tied down, he's been asleep for a long time, about 38 years. And he was waking up. 
You can also call him the body of Christ. Coming together. I saw his head was in Cleveland, Ohio. And his head was Jacob. Jacob was the one that wrestled and met with God. And this is a year that the blessings of Jacob on you, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing. You have to get yourself started being dedicated for his purpose. Jacob. Ed is in Cleveland. Called Jacob's Field. Full of youth. Especially college and high school youth. You need to get a vision for it. The next thing I saw is I saw the, the lodge pole, the tent pole. And it was sticking straight up, and it come out of, uh, of Columbus, Ohio. There is going to be a thing in Columbus, Ohio that's going to raise above anything you've seen before. And it's going to be like a tent, a canopy. And that's where his heart was at. Then I saw Cincinnati. That's where his reproduction organs were. This is what you're called for, to reproduce. I saw the left hand. It went over the mountains. It went up to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and it had love in it. And the left hand was the teaching hand of God. And you're going to begin to see the true teaching hands of God teaching God's love again. I saw the right hand. It went west. And it was tied down in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I saw it begin to flex and begin to raise up and pull those, those strings off. I saw one of the feet. The left one was in Charlotte, North Carolina, which means you're going to begin to see great television and books and radio and things that people can be taught without going thousands of miles. I saw the right leg. It was in Nashville, Tennessee. Get ready to see great faith rays up there. I saw this great man raise up and begin to take and break off all restraints. And he put his foot down, both of them, in Atlanta, Georgia. God means to take Atlanta. First, he means to take Ohio. Then Atlanta. He means to take Indiana. He's going to go on over to Illinois. He's going to go past Cleveland. If you take Atlanta, Georgia, you take the South.
my daddy's got big ideas. But he's big enough to do it. But he's looking for a body of Christ whose head will be in the heavens. Head will be in the heavens. Whose body will be on the earth. Walking it out. You are part of that body. This is why you really need to begin to go to him in prayer and find out where he wants to start. I know where he wants to start. I know where he wants to start. Find out where he wants to start. I know where he wants to start. In your heart. In your heart. Then in your home. Then in your family. Then on your streets, your cities, your states. And he's starting. This is called passion. Get ready for a passion for intimacy with God that can only be satisfied by being intimate with him. Get ready to know him in a passion you have never known anything before. He can bring you into such an intimate relationship that when you speak, the words he speaks to you in intimacy is creating. Wasn't that awesome? I love hearing Bob's voice and the music they put behind that. It's just really, it's just awesome. It's probably, probably one of his most, I'm going to say, famous prophecies. There have been people who have tried to make this happen, and it just wasn't the right timing. Little did I know that the Lord chose me and actually commissioned me then to take this to the body of Christ, to waken the body of Christ. Just an act of simple faith that began, the Lord began to show me, you know, as we went, <laughs> what we were up against and how to deal with it. Like I said, when we crossed from West Virginia into Ohio, we stopped to eat and uh, the Lord told us to go there to the river. Do you know that's the same area, if you remember William Branham, he baptized in the Ohio River, and that's where the angel came upon him. But the Lord said there that out of the mouth of this great river, the Ohio River, the blessings come. And then he said, um, that look what I do in the east. Now, I, I don't feel this was Ohio. I feel this was for, this, for America. But he said, look what I do in the east and listen to what I say in the south 
the north is not prepared for what I'm about to do, and mighty is my hand in the west. So I think that's you. Mighty is my hand in the west. Then he said, to go from this point to the opening of Lake Erie and prophesy to the winds holding back the anointing of my church. Now, in that prophecy, you heard Bob say that uh, Gulliver, the body of Christ, had been tied down for 38 years, and he was half, his body was half covered with dirt. See, I think that dirt has been the religious spirit. And I remember, like I said earlier in, in the year as the lord was speaking to me month by month remember let my people go and what were they being let go from was that religious spirit so um okay we we left from the ohio river and got the kids settled in with my daughter and lynn and i headed up north to the cleveland area area jacobs field that's where the Cleveland Indians, it is now called Progressive Field, but that's where the Cleveland Indians baseball, they were for many years. And at the time Bob got this prophecy, it was um, Jacob's Field. Both Bob and I had visions about revival in Jacob's Field. And we'd had this before we knew each other. So we really felt, and like I said, when that commissioner said the curse is broken I knew it was a timing and I agreed with heaven on this 38 years from 2005 would take it back to 1967 that was when Jerusalem became a city and but there was a lot of things going on with the civil rights but it was also the summer of love okay some of you are too young to remember that, but I strongly believe that 2017 will be 50 years and that God is going to have his summer of love, okay? I really believe that. And like I said, that we have the 40 years with the glory, returning of the glory, and this 50 with the summer of love. I mean, I think God is really up to something for 2017. So we prayed there at Jacob's Field, and then we went, the next day to this first church and it was called gateway it was way over at the northeast uh corner of ohio so we we went there and we had a great meeting that morning and you know like i said simple faith i think i'm releasing what the lord is saying and you know he told me the next day it was a good message but now here's what i'm saying so see i need to get even though it was good i need to get in alignment with what he is saying so I'll, I'll read part of you what he, what he said. Gulliver is the body. He's a man of great honor and authority that laid down to rest, yet fell into a deep, deep sleep. Now when I'm saying this, you think about the body of Christ, okay? While he was sleeping, he dreamed about prosperity and wisdom and how he would one day rule the world. See, I think that's the heart of the Christians is to overcome we are overcomers but to defeat the enemy so that we quote rule the world for the lord right but when he awoke he found so he's in this he's in this uh, sleep he laid down for sleep he said he had um a foolish dream so he thought this was his dream but when he awoke he found that little people with big ideas had tied him down that's your religious spirit 
So he no longer had the will to resist, and he went back to sleep. Have you seen that in the church? That's why so many churches are kind of empty because people are staying at home. That religious spirit has really driven people away and out of the church. But now he's awakening after many long years of, now this is the Lord saying this, therapeutic memory change. <laughs> I just said simply deliverance. And coming to the understanding of who I am in him and how he is to lead the world in economics and religion. Then he said, be careful as he awakens and rises up. He cannot rise too quickly, for if he does, he would fall. And this time he would not recover. But he said, you, and this is each one of us, you must help him to arise to his call. Love, love, love. Only through love will this man stand and not fall. This is the body of Christ. Only through love can we stand and not fall. Only through love will he forgive and forget. Only through love will he mend the wounds wickedness has placed upon him. And only by love will the wounded church lose its barrenness, then prosper and multiply. See, people in the church have been wounded, and they haven't learned. A lot of them have not learned how to forgive and forget. We must learn to forgive like God does. When he forgives, he totally forgets. The enemy doesn't, and therefore we get sometimes sidetracked and believe that it's God when it's really the devil. God forgives, he forgets. The devil doesn't, so he reminds us. And we got to let things go. We need to walk in love. And, okay, God wants to get rid of this barrenness. We should be having these babies, okay? So Father's Day, I'm having this baby. These are the children of promise. These are the ones that we're birthing out of love. The body of Christ is awakening. And you are all a part of it. Just because that prophecy, you know, it's what God showed Bob at that time, those cities and those states. And it's just a parable. But I want you to think for a moment of something. That head, the head was in Cleveland, Jacob's Field. Directly across the street, because I'm a good Ohio girl, I know all these things, directly across the street from that baseball field is Quicken Loans Arena. And do you know that is where the Republican Party held their convention? Right across. That's what really struck me. The head of our new government is in Jacob's Field. I mean, seriously, you could throw a stone and you would hit the field, the baseball field. And where is his right-hand man coming from? Indianapolis. Okay, that's where Mr. Pence is from. So it's like God is showing, okay, here's the head of our new government for this nation to turn things around. Mr. Pence, do you know the influence? He is a godly man. What does he say? I'm a Christian first, a conservative second, and a politician third. Christian, how many, can you imagine anybody else saying that? But he said that he is quite the influence for Mr. Trump, okay? And I, I'm going to say this, 
and say it the right way, so please take it the right way. Mr. McKinley, William McKinley, he ran and won the first election. He ran the second term, but he was assassinated, okay? So when I saw this and I prayed for Mr. Trump, but I prayed for a different ending to his administration, okay? We don't need anything like that. But he has a godly man, his right-hand man, who's a great influence. And, you know, presidents can only run two terms. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a Christian conservative politician in office after that? We would be guaranteed how many years? 16? Wouldn't that be awesome? Do you think what this nation might look like if we had a turnaround? I mean, we need to, we need to think about this. So... Okay, but our barrenness, the church has been barren. We need to be reproducing sons and daughters. We got the head, we got the heart. Down there in the heart of Columbus, I'll tell you what, there's such a religious spirit there, it was, it was really discouraging. But you know what, it encourages me more to be prayerful for them because this is just a picture. This is the heart of the body of Christ. Okay, Columbus is just a picture. It's the body of Christ that's not moving in love. That tent pole, Bob saw the tent pole coming up out of the middle and a canopy formed over that. And it's going to move in great signs and wonders and miracles. That's the body of Christ. But what is that canopy? The canopy is love. Okay, the canopy is love. We aren't going anywhere without it. If you don't love the person sitting next to you, move. <laughs> now, you know what? We're not going to have that opportunity. We must love. We must love the unlovable. We must be like Mother Teresa. You know, they just she just got, what, sainthood or something now, which, you know, good golly, why didn't they give that to her a long time ago? You know, I mean, she was she was a picture of what love is supposed to be. You know, she went places other people wouldn't go. She took care of people that literally they threw out in the street. And she loved them back to life. Some she didn't. She loved them. They died in their, her arms. But can we do this? Can we love our neighbor? Can we love those that don't love us? We can. It's like I've got the one candidate I really don't, quote, like. Okay, but I'm commanded to love her. Now you know who it is. <laughs> but I'm commanded to love her. Okay, in Bonnie's little flesh here, Bonnie has a war going on like, oh my goodness. But you know, I would like to have a one-to-one -one face encounter with her and, you know, speak to her. You know, she thinks she's dizzy from something else. But, you know, I mean... Honest, she needs she needs she needs God. She needs Jesus. She needs people praying for her for her salvation. So can I love her with my flesh? No. But I can love her through Christ. And I can pray for her. And pray for her salvation. And we need to be doing that with a lot of other people. There was a <laughs> Love thy neighbor. There was one of my neighbors that just about drove me nutty. <laughs> you know? And um, 
bless her heart. But she she just really was she she was just really bugging me a lot. She bugged Lynn too. Every time he'd come over to my house, she would come over and ask to borrow him so she, he could change her light bulbs or air filters or something. But anyhow, but I mean, she was just kind of, and you know what? The Lord kept sending her back to me because I wasn't seeing her the way that he did. And I'm like, God, she just bugged me. And he said, Bonnie, you know, she's lonely. That's all. She's just lonely. So guess what? She doesn't have a TV, but I do. So we're going to watch the debate together. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's all it is. She's not, she's never been around little kids. She's, what, 69 years old. She's never been married, never been around little kids. And I've got his three little people pretty often. So I called and asked her one day. They forgot to bring, I don't know, a bottle for the baby or something, whatever. And I'm like, could you stay with them? They're all in bed, but could you stay with them while I run to the store and get a bottle? I'm scared to death. I wouldn't know what to do. They, if they woke up, I said, they won't. You know, it's 10 minutes up, 10 minutes back. She went to the store for me, and she bought me three bottles. <laughs> but you know what? She loves to come over to us. She you know, she just needed somebody to communicate with her and love her on her level. <laughs> and she likes to come over <laughs> and watch 101 Dalmatians and some of those little kids. Oh, she just, you know, and she can't hear, so we've got the TV turned up to 85, and I'm like... Okay, <laughs> we can do this, you know, you know, oh, she's a hoot, but you know, that, see, I had, I had to have an attitude adjustment, you know, so which one of us doesn't, you know, but we really, tomorrow I'm going to be talking a lot about love, because I really love love, you know, I love love. God is love, so how could we not love love, but we need to have a different outlook on our Christian life, our Christian faith, and walking in love at all times, even when it hurts, you know? Lord told me one time I had to love this one man, you know? He brought terrible accusation against me, okay, terrible. Accused me of sexually abusing my oldest grandson. And, and he was not the father of this child, but he it was the devil. You know, devil works through people, right? Good. Okay, well, we agree on something. But he was really working through this man, and, I mean, he, I had to do lie detector tests, all this crazy craziness. And the Lord told me one day, I went home at lunchtime, and he said, you must love him. And I'm like, I can't, you know. And then you tell the Lord, like, why you can't love him, right? <laughs> like, he already knows. That's why he's telling me, you, you've got to love him. I'm like, I, I can't. But then he said to me, very sweetly, he said, you must love him like I love those who crucified my son. Now, see, he put that in a perspective. Could I not, this man that brought accusation against me, I mean, he, you know, he's, his elevator didn't go all the way to the top floor. He just, you know, he just lied. He's still a liar. I mean, he just, that's him. But I had to learn to love him, and I'm like, Okay, God was God was right about this. I mean, I dropped to my knees and repented, and I, I'm like, show me then how to, to love him, because I sure didn't. You know, I know I had hate in my heart toward him, and hate is not from God, right? So I went to, well, I went to uh, the home meeting. It was in Amish country, so they called it kinship. But I went there that night, and I'm I'm telling these nice little Amish people like, uh, 
Lord, tell me I have to love this guy. And I just can't. You know, I'm, I'm trying, but I just don't know how. And they said, find one thing about him that you like and start there. So I thought about it, and I'm like, well, he has beautiful teeth. How is that? So I said, Lord, I love his beautiful teeth. <laughs> yeah. So then the next week, it's like, I mean, I really, I would picture in my mind, you know, he had a beautiful smile and beautiful teeth. So I pictured that, and then it's like the next week, I thought, he really had nice hair. <laughs> he had this beautiful, beautiful hair. So, But, you know, there was, like, really nothing about him I liked because I knew, honest, he could take, and, and this is the devil, he would take everything that was said and twist it, you know, and my daughter was so deceived that she believed everything he said. Everything, you know. I mean, I'll tell you, it was it was very ugly. <laughs> and that's why one day, well, the Lord ended up just moving me down to Charlotte, you know. Honest, I was I was willing to stay there. I had I had finally got visitation with my grandson and um and that was awesome. And then one day, this went for a couple months, one day I went to pick him up because I had like every Thursday, you know, I had a couple hours, but I got to the house to pick him up. There was three cruisers waiting there. If I even opened the door, they were going to arrest me. I see, this was just the devil, you know? It's like every time, you know, there was um, a success, you know, there was a victory, the devil just came in and wreaked havoc. <laughs> the cop said, you know, I said, I have a court order. They said, I don't care what you have. If you dare to open that door, we will arrest you and take you to jail because the homeowners don't want you here. You have to leave the property. You know, it was just the devil. But, you know, God had, I think I was saying last night about stepping stones or stepping stones. Everything we do in life is a stepping stone for the, another thing that God has planned for. That was a great stepping stone for me. It was so painful. I mean, there was such betrayal, and it was such a hurt, and I felt like all my, you know, like my heart was ripped out of my body. But you know what? June 16th, or June 18th that, that year, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, today's the day. No more excuses. He wanted me to give my resignation, and I did. It was my boss's, like I said, as a Democrat, I worked in this, you know, political office, and it's his re-election year, and I'm his campaign manager and his secretary and his treasurer. And I have to say, I quit. <laughs> Here's my resignation. And you know what? He said, I know it's a greater thing for you to serve God than it is to serve me. And I asked for two weeks, and he said, could you make it three? I said, okay. In five weeks, I was down there at school. with. I called Lynn that night, and I said, guess what I'm doing? I quit my job today. And, you know, I said, I'm going to go to Morning Star School of Ministry. And he got me an application. Faith, I packed up everything, was ready to go. Two days before I left, that's when I got my notice from Morningstar that I was even accepted. But, you know, God said, go, and I went. You know, remember I said last night, hearing and obeying? We all want to hear God's voice, but when he says do something, do you want to go? Do you want to do it? You know, one time he told me, I'm living in, in Charlotte area, and he told me to go home to my mother, and I'm like, I didn't want to, so you know what? See how you can, like, oh, I think I need to wash the car today. So I, you know, washed the car and did all these things. 
And he didn't say anything till the next morning. He said, go home to your mother today. And I'm like, ooh, okay. So, I mean, I packed up my stuff real quick, and I was on my way. And you know what? This was awesome. I found out that night, I'm sitting there with my mother, going through pictures. You know, I had all these pictures that I took from India and what have you, and, and I'm talking to my mom. And out of my mouth came, why didn't anybody like Aunt Peggy? Well, this is her older brother's wife. Okay, and she said, why would you ask me that? I don't know why I asked her that. I hadn't thought about Aunt Peggy in 40 years. So it had to be Holy Spirit, you know, put this in me. <laughs> I said, I, I don't know, but, you know, I just, I know nobody liked her in the family. And she said, well, she had an abortion. In fact, she had two abortions. And she got me the stuff to abort you. And I'm like, I never knew I was an <laughs> was supposed to be an abortion, you know, and, and she went on to say, it's just like my mom couldn't help but just reveal truth. She went on to say that the day that she was going to abort me, her father came, and whatever, what, I know some kind of pill, whatever, at that time, back in a long time ago, anyhow, but he took it from her and took it out in the backyard and threw it, we had a little stream that ran through the, the their property. So see, what would have the world been, it would have been missing me. And I wouldn't have been here to do this today, you know. So God was revealing that to me. And, you know, it's like as soon as she said it, I really forgot it till I was there a couple of days and he told me to go home. So I went back to the Carolinas. When I'm driving through West Virginia, that's when I remembered our conversation. And, and right then I said, Lord, I forgive my mother, you know. I mean, I just never felt anything God intervened through my grandpa. So here I am today, instead of floating down the river someplace. Okay? <laughs> so see, God has a plan for each and every one of us. It was really great because, you know what, it wasn't that year, but a couple years later, I got to take my mother through deliverance. We never, ever discussed that again. Never. You know? I'm sure that she got caught up in something she shouldn't have been. And but look, 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 look here. I'm God's favorite. You know, here I am today. So, you know, so anyhow. But God has great plans for each and every one of you. And his greatest desire is that you become like him and be that vessel of love. And if you're that vessel of love, you can't help. Everything you do is motivated by love. It just has to be. You can't do anything. God can't do anything other than love us, right? Even when he corrects us, his justice, I don't like to say judgment, but his justice is for us because he loves us. So anyhow, well, listen. I'm going to go back to the Ohio River. I kind of like it there. When Lynn and I crossed, uh, we crossed over the Ohio River, because I've got to impart to you guys tonight, too. That's what I have to go back to the Ohio River. When we come across the Ohio River and we were down there praying, the Lord really showed us that he sent both of us away down to the Carolinas. And then he's returned us, even though we had been back to visit family. And even Bob and I did a little bit of ministry in Ohio. He never sent me never really allowed me 
to minister there. And now he's sending me. And what he showed me was Elijah and Elisha. And how, do you remember Elisha would not leave Elijah? Okay? See, I have to take you back. Bob went on dialysis in January 2012. He coded No7 and was on dialysis a few months. And then he got well enough that he could come off of it. But he went on dialysis January of 2012. I had already been asked to do um, a ladies' conference in Nashville in, uh, for Valentine's Day that year. So we had, I think you came and stayed with Bob at that time. And, um, and I went, I was going like three days. And then I started getting other invitations. <laughs> and, and the Lord told me, he said, you are at a crossroads. You can either go or you can stay. The choice was mine. And I thought, well, you know, was it really a choice to make? If I go, I could go. I'd, You know, Bob was my husband, and I felt he was my responsibility. I couldn't trust other people. I mean, Lynn was fine to come in for a couple of days, or one friend I'd have come in for a couple of days, but this was my baby, you know. Like Elijah and Elisha, I couldn't leave Bob. And that's what the Lord was showing me. I thought, hey, you know, there'll be time for ministry. There'll be, and if, there, you know, Bob was my ministry. He's the one I was to take care of. And that's what I felt the Lord was saying as we came back across the river there. And, and he showed me, it's like Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha would not leave Elijah, even though people really discouraged him. The sons of the prophets, they kept discouraging him. You know, it wasn't until Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, and then Elisha came back over. He struck the water, and he came over. This, he was walking in his own anointing, which leads me to something else. Are you guys okay? Can I talk a couple more minutes? Okay, because I knew, I knew that this is the Lord saying, we were walking in that Elisha anointing now. And we're carrying on what Bob had began, you know. I did not want to be in Canton, Ohio, home to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I did not want to be there at Hall of Fame time. In 2014, I had a dream about Brett Favre, about Canton, Ohio, and Brett Favre, and that he was being inducted. And there was all this hoopla around there, and I thought, oh, my gosh. The earliest he could be inducted would be um, 2016. Sure enough, that's why I didn't want to be in Canton at that time. I was going to go on the 10th of August because my sister is having surgery. But the Lord gets me there, you know, 29th of July. But the dream that he gave me in 2014 on Day of Atonement was that I was in Canton, Ohio, walking up the street, stepped out of my shoe, and as soon as I stepped on, you know, put my shoe back on, which is me stepping into my ministry, I'm taken onto this huge fire truck, and it's all about this Brett Favre being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, that's kind of a basis of the dream. When I'm in Canton now, and the Lord tells me on the 5th, August 5th, he said, watch what I do in Canton, Ohio in the next three days as all eyes are upon her. Canton is my battle axe. And remember, that's where 
William McKinley was from too. So Canton is his battle axe. So that day I, I go out and I'm retracing what the Lord showed me in this dream. So that's the one thing. And there's this new whole big thing put up about William McKinley, which was really neat. So that's kind of one thing. The next day, Lynn and I are heading up to Warren, Ohio, for ministry, and and <laughs> just amazed. We go past the Hall of Fame. Now, the Hall of Fame, they it's they're making it into a village. What was the stadium? They they tore down the one I think the visitors section and rebuilt it. Very nice. They had torn up the field. You know, it was just like a big hole. What they did for the game, they put a field down and they put this, um, what do you call the AstroTurf. It came from the uh, New Orleans Saints. The man who owns the Saints donated $10 million for this stadium. So they named the stadium after him now. They put this uh, AstroTurf down and for, you know how they do on the pro football games, they always put the names of the teams, what have you, they have it like spray painted on there. They put the the seal for the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame game down there in the center of the field and they cover it up, okay? Remember, <laughs> this, is, this is the one day. First day I'm stepping into my anointing. Second day we go past the Hall of Fame and Brett Favre and the guys being inducted, they're all up to speak. We get to our hotel room, and I'm watching that, and Brett Favre, honest, I don't know much about him. However, his first thing that he says is, he's surprised there's so, I'm not surprised there's so many Green Bay Packer fans here. And, of course, everybody cheers. And then he says, thank you, Canton. Thank you, Enshrinement Committee. Thank you, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, this is broadcast everywhere. I mean, they're watching, they're watching it. Everybody's, all eyes are on Canton, you know, all these football people. So this is really awesome. And he goes on to talk about the love of the father. You know, yeah, his, he talked about his mother and about his love of the father. And it, he, did, he didn't have anything. He never read from anything. It was all like shooting from the hip. He said he had to do it that way because he had to be real. It was just really, he honored God. And I thought, yes, this was awesome. Then the next day is the football game. Like 6 o'clock that night, okay, they, they have that spray painted. They take the cover off of it, and the S-O-N, the sun had come out and melted that stuff and made it like taffy. First time ever in the history of the Hall of Fame game, they, had to, they couldn't play it. And I'm like, yes, because you see, their God, in Canton, Ohio, that is their God. Their God had to bow a knee to God. And he was honored there the night before. So I was tickled pink and purple. How's that? So I'm like, okay, God, I've, you know, the Lord told me I, like, I didn't have to participate in those things. I just needed to be there. My, I needed to be present in that, in that region at that time. And I'm like, okay. So anyhow but we've been commissioned to impart to release the double portion and I like with Timothy I still wish you'd come up and say that again what you did last night because I can't say it like you did 
the double portion. Now watch, he's got to get into the memory bank. Well, uh, I'm trying hard to touch his heart too. <laughs> Bob walked in the Bob was a prophet in the likeness of Elijah. Jah, the J A J H. And years before I met Bob, you know, the Lord showed me that I would be like the Elisha prophet. I think one builds on the other. I am, like Timothy was saying last night, basically, I'm continuing what Bob did. Not that I've got more power authority, because we don't. Everything we do in the Christian walk is by faith. And I feel the Lord, he, did, he commissioned me to go to the body and to release the Elisha blessing. A double portion. To me, I see that as the greater works. Bob would say his ceiling must be our floor. And he would say, if you don't do better than me, if you don't do more than me, then I, my life has been a failure. Well, his life was not a failure. Up to his very last breath, he was interceding for the body of Christ. So... We are just continuing what he began. This is a timing, and you are all called to do the greater works.